for this morning. The text for this morning is John 14, 6. It's a verse a lot of you probably memorized. Right after Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 when you first became a Christian, okay? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's pray. God, we come to you again in prayer, again praising you for all that you have done in creation and in redemption, in saving your elect people. God, we thank you that you condescended to us to come and take on flesh, to be one of us. Lord Jesus, that you, you lived the life that is expected of us, but that we have failed to live. And that by faith in you, we are united to you in that faith that we can have assurance of salvation, that we can know your blessing in this world. And Lord, we thank you that we're experiencing it right now in this place, on this day, as we read from your word, as we begin to understand it. God, I pray that you would allow for all of us to, to understand what it is that your word teaches, what it implies it teaches. And you have a lot to say, God, about authority. We looked at it last week. We'll talk about it this morning. Jesus, you are Lord of all, and I pray that your name would be high and lifted up this morning as I come now to deliver your word. Be with me, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're beginning a series, a four-week series titled American Idols. We're identifying the things that compete with Christ in our culture for our attention, for our affections, and our allegiance. And why we're doing this is pretty obvious. Frankly, our country has just lost its way. Would anybody contest that? In about a month, there'll be half-naked people dancing in the streets of Columbia celebrating gay pride. We have drag queens performing uh, perversion in front of our children in public libraries. That's got a green stamp of approval. Boys and girls are having the parts that God gave them medically mutilated so that they can be the gender God didn't give them. 60 million children and more have been murdered in their mother's wombs. Children sacrificed on the altar of convenience and in the pursuit of happiness. Sin is celebrated in our culture. We call evil good and we call good evil. In fact, it's worse to judge evil than it is to do evil today. That's where we are. And we wonder why it seems like everywhere we look, people have just lost their minds. You know, it's why every time we hear our president speak, it's like watching a Saturday Night Live sketch. You know, we, we can't seem to believe our eyes and ears when we watch the news because it seems like everybody's literally just lost their minds. And it's because we as a nation, have lost our way. Let me remind you of what Paul says in Romans 1. He says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
God has given our country over to our sins, to our lusts, to our misplaced idols and values. And Paul continues in that same chapter, he says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Has America done that? I mean, just answer the question, yes or no. Though we know God's righteous decree, have we, as a country, not only gone against it, but given approval to, allowed, accepted, legalized, protected, and even celebrated going against it? Of course we have. And we rightly deserve God's judgment for it. So it's no use trying to hide America and her idols from God anymore. God sees. He sees. And we need to see. That's why we're doing this series. We're exposing the idols of America and the idol of America. Because if we've looked for peace, comfort, security, and enjoyment that God says only he can offer through his son, if we've looked for all of those things someplace else, in our founding documents even, then America has become an idol for the church in America. And what we'll cover as we go through this, just the things that we're taught to value and to pursue and to respect more than God. And I'm going to do my best to apply the same outline to each one of these messages to keep things tight, to keep them simple, okay? So we're going to look at the lie, the truth, the church, and the challenge. The lie, the truth, the church, and the challenge. When we look at the lie, we're identifying the lie or the lies, there may be many of them, that we believe about this particular idol that we'll discuss on a given week and, and what it is that it offers us. We'll talk about the truth, being reminded of the truth of God's word about that idol and what it is God says he offers us through his son, Jesus. And then the church, what is the church's response to this idol? How do we guard ourselves against it personally and how do we speak prophetically into the culture about it? And then the challenge, some practical ways in which we can do that in our lives and in our homes and in our churches and in our neighborhoods. So the idol we'll cover today is the Amer American ideal of freedom of religion. And really what we're talking about is the fruit of that ideal, okay? The fruit of freedom of religion. The fruit undeniably is pluralism. The idea that all religions are equally valid should all be respected by our government and should all be practiced privately and quietly. And friends, that's government-sanctioned idolatry and the fruit has not been good. This isn't a political speech, it's a sermon. So I'm not looking to get elected, I'm looking just to honor God and his word. And so I can say unequivocally, unapologetically and without qualification that this value our country holds up so high and so dear, the idea that you can worship any God you want, just shut up about it, has insulted God and brought devastation on his people who are made in his own image, our neighbors that we're called to love. 
And I don't feel the least bit sorry or worried or uncomfortable saying that because I'm not an American Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be an American citizen. And I'm very thankful I live here and not someplace else. I'm extremely grateful for the sacrifices that have been made to afford me the freedoms that I have. But we would all do well to abandon any prefix we put in front of our Christianity. That doesn't make you anti-American, by the way. That doesn't make you unpatriotic. It makes you a sober-minded, thinking follower of Christ. If you've been purchased by the blood of Christ, you are a Christian first. You have more in common, as hard as it is to imagine, you have more in common with the Christian in Indonesia that you don't look like or can even understand than you do with your atheist neighbor that lives to you next door. Because there is no male, nor female, nor Jew, nor Greek, but all are one in Christ Jesus. That's what his word tells us. You are a Christian most of all, a Christian man, a Christian woman, a Christian husband and father, a Christian wife and mother, a Christian athlete, soldier, artist, etc. When you put something in front of your identity as Christian, you just identified an idol. And too many Christians today are more American than they are Christian. I'm calling you to choose sides in this series on American Idols. Are you going to stand with your country and its ideals and its values and its practices, or are you going to stand with Christ and his? I know that sounds extreme, y'all, but with love, with respect and humility, it's because you're still thinking that this is, that America is something other than what it has become. She has proven herself. And if we go on pretending she is redeemable, apart from repenting and sackcloth and ashes and bowing before Christ as king, we are sorely mistaken. And God will continue to turn America over to herself. And if we go on pretending that's not the case in the church of America, we will be useless salt and hidden light. The two most important things Jesus tells us any of our lives can be about are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? And that's what's at rock bottom of this series, love God and love neighbor. If we do that, there will be no room in our hearts for idolatry. If you love God, you will not bow to the culture. And if you love your neighbor, you won't let them either. So we're breaking this down, looking at the lie, the truth, the church, and the challenge. So first of all, the lie. There's a lie that we believe that, that idolatry is just some ancient sin of the past. That, that, that doesn't really happen anymore. People don't do that. We need to tackle that first because if we so narrowly define idolatry as bowing before some sort of carved image uh, with the intent of, of worshiping it in some full-orbed religious way, then we've missed it and we've deceived ourselves into thinking it's not possible for us 
to be idolaters today. What's important to recognize is that the danger and sin of idolatry is not in the item. It's in us. The lie is that as long as we're not bowing before an item in a religious way, we're safe. We're not guilty of breaking the second commandment. We're not idolizing anything. But idolatry is really much more broad than that. An idol can be worshiping or just making room for other gods, and that's what we're talking about today. But an idol can also be anything that competes with your affections for God and your reliance upon God. An idol can be something you look to as an ultimate authority, an authority next to God or above God. Or it can be something that you, you look to to provide you with, God, with what God says only he can provide. So we can't just have this narrow definition of idolatry. And the lie we're looking at specifically today, all right, is the lie that our country and our culture wants us to believe. And here it is. That it's good to be a society wherein you can worship any God you choose or none at all. That's important to us, isn't it? That's important to us as Americans. We take pride in that. Why? Stop being American for just a minute and just be a Christian. Okay? Does God smile upon that? Does the God who made us and made us for his own glory delight in coexisting with the gods that man has made? God says in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, that's you, by the way, okay? That, that's you, the true Israel, all those who are united to God by faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And when he says that, he's not just setting himself apart and saying, well, he's different than all the other gods. He's not just saying, you know, all these other people have all these other gods, but I'm, I'm the one that's your God. No, he says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I will share with no other. He says, before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be after me, in Isaiah 43. The next chapter, he says, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. Is there a God besides me, he says. No, I know not one. That's what God says. America says, the Lord is our way of life and our most excellent, most wise, and most pure way of life gives you the permission to worship anyone or anything you wish. Just obey us. That's not an exaggeration, is it? I mean, I realize that probably wasn't our founding fathers' intent or the framers of the Constitution's intent, but that's what we got, isn't it? That's the fruit. State-sanctioned idolatry. Not even the more subtle kinds of idolatry we'll talk about in coming weeks. This is actually the kind of idolatry that intentionally worships other gods that are not gods at all. The lie that all gods and all religions have their merits and none should be respected or more highly regarded than another. That's the lie 
Here's the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's not a popular message today. The world doesn't like that message. It's not an American message, that's for sure. Because if there's anything America prides itself on and, and holds up as a virtue more than anything else, it is inclusivity. And it doesn't matter if the thing being included is unhealthy or hurtful to the people that participate in it or disastrous to society. If that's what people want to do, then we ought to let them do it and protect their right to do it. That's how you get gay marriage. That's how you get children having gender reassignment surgery. That's how you get a country that treats women as a protected class of citizens who alone have the right to murder children. Let's stop pretending this isn't the America we live in. That's where we need to start. Let's stop pretending that choice is the greatest end to pursue has worked out well for us. It hasn't. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. The way is broad and easy that leads to destruction and we, as a nation, have scoffed at the narrow road, laughed it off, called it ridiculous, and skipped and danced in the broad way. as if that were the greatest good. The truth is, according to God's word, there is one God, one truth, one Savior. And recognizing anything else as, as being God is offensive to God, and it's ruinous, y'all. It's ruinous for those that he has made in his image. We have evidence of that now, don't we? Has it not been enough? The truth is, the rotten fruit we can see in America's treetops has religious pluralism at the bottom of it. And again, pluralism, just the idea that all religions can and should coexist. That's what's most beneficial for society, right? Is that all religions and gods behind those religions should be valued equally and no one should be recognized as being more important or have more influence than another. How's that working out? You put Jesus on the same shelf with atheism, y'all, you get prayer taken out of schools. Google Madeline Murray O'Hare. She picked up that freedom of religion ball and ran with it. She spiked it in the end zone and gave the church the finger. If we can have the good news club in schools to teach children about Jesus, we can have the after-school Satan club, too. Please don't think for a minute I'm making that up. This is already happening in counties in California and Colorado and Pennsylvania and others I probably haven't even heard about yet. And they're citing the First Amendment to do it. They are constitutionally protected because we're too shy to say, no, Jesus is Lord of all. 
The truth is Jesus is the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven among which men must be saved. And y'all, we must be saved. We must be saved. It doesn't matter what we say we believe or don't believe. The truth is we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. That's the truth regardless of what anybody says they believe. The truth is, we all die once, okay? And then comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Hebrews 9, chapter, 27, or chapter 9, verse 27. Our country and our culture says, no, that's not necessarily so. There are all other alternative messages of hope, of peace, of comfort, of eternal life. There are alternative messages. Our country and our culture says that's not necessarily so, and the church has let them believe it. So next point. The church, how is the church to respond to these things? How should we as Christians respond to the idols of our culture, particularly religious pluralism, the, the fruit of religious freedom? Well, in a word, we should be provoked. Shouldn't we? Is that a Christian word, provoked? Should we be provoked? Are we supposed to just give them a pass and let it slide and try to get along for the sake of get along and make room for their idols and respect them? We should if we're being consistent Americans. That's exactly what we should do if we stop at what the Constitution says. But y'all, I will always beg that you ask the question, what does God say? Acts 17, verse 16, Paul in Athens. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Not the church, the city. He was provoked when he saw that the city was full of idols. That's the appropriate Christian response to idols in the culture, any culture. Why? Because Jesus is king over all. That's why. And Paul knew it. Paul knew it. That's why he goes on. He takes them to school on the God who made them and the foolishness of serving idols. He says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The church exposes idolatry, y'all, and calls for repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the church does. And when we're too scared to do it because we might be called names or lose our precious tax-exempt status, 
The church fails and the culture decays. That's what you get. The church proclaims the gospel unapologetically and unapologetically declares the lordship of Jesus Christ over all things. The church doesn't try to overthrow the government with force, okay? That's not what we do. We don't try to overthrow the government by force, by, by taking up the sword, no, but we do stand in its way with the gospel, and we call on those in office to tear down the high places that have been erected to false gods. We acknowledge Christ as king. We don't wage war according to the flesh, right? You familiar with that verse? We don't wage war according to the flesh. But there's a war nonetheless. And it's not something that just happens that we can't know about. No, we see the fruit of it, don't we? We see there's a spiritual war going on. We see that there's a, there's a battle between right and wrong, good and evil. There's a war going on. And our weapons are not of the flesh, but they have divine power, God's word tells us. To, to do what? Divine power to do what? To destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Is that verse in your Bible? Go ahead and look, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It's there. God says it. So what does that mean? What does it look like for us? It means... Being godly troublemakers for the cause of Christ. It means we make it uncomfortable for our neighbors made in God's image to celebrate sin and to worship false gods and idols. That's what it means. I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean set up a bunch of cute little church houses for us to play religion in on Sunday mornings and pray the government never takes our right away to do that. If we believe that's a right that they can give to us, we will believe it's a right they can take away. It is not a right they give to us. It is a command of God to proclaim the gospel, to declare Jesus as Lord of all. We have to make Christianity weird again, y'all. We're where we are today because we've let Christianity sit up on a red, white, and blue shelf next to all the other world religions collecting dust. Christianity is not one option among any, many. It is the world's only hope. And we have to stop being shy about saying so because we might offend someone. We have to stop being shy about saying so because we might be called exclusive or unaccepting or intolerant or un-American. So what? That's what Christians in the first century in Rome were fed to lions for, being non-conformists. Are we above that? Last point, the challenge. We are called to be nonconformists. Are we called to honor governing authorities? Of course we are. Absolutely we are. 
But our governing authorities are called by God to protect the righteous and to punish evil, and God gets to decide which is which, not them. And it's the church's job to remind them of which is which when they forget from time to time so that they can faithfully carry out the duty that God gives them. But they don't know which is which anymore because the church has abdicated its responsibility in that department. Church can hold conferences, write books and Bible studies and big budgets and send people halfway across the world to do the same, all while we lose any semblance that Christianity ever touched this continent. Because we've been told we have to stay in our lane. Because if we don't, we'll lose the things that really matter to us. Our freedoms and our comforts and our privileges as citizens. Theirs, your American idols. And God willing, they'll be exposed as we go through the series and the Holy Spirit will go to work on us to alert us to these things, to gift us with new repentance and new faith and to strengthen us and to prepare us for the days to come so that we can prepare our children for what lies ahead of them when we're gone. So here's some practical points of what we can do. You can jump in headlong if you want to. I won't stop you. I won't discourage you. If you want to run for office and effectuate change that way, you know, on sort of that top level, I won't stop you. You want to show up at your city council meetings and call on your leaders to obey the authority that gave them theirs? I would encourage you to do so. You want to come stand outside with me to preach the gospel where people will drive from hundreds of miles to slaughter their children this coming Tuesday? I'll pick you up and you can ride with me. It's on the calendar. I don't know how many they'll kill. There'll be at least 20. And they'll keep doing it until we say, enough of us say, you can't do that. But those aren't the only ways you can be a nonconformist and to fight state-sanctioned idolatry in this country. You can be a godly troublemaker at home by making godly troublemakers at home. Moms, you can stop believing the lie that you've given up everything it means to be you by choosing to have and raise those precious children. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Don't you dare believe it. You have not missed out on a thing this world has to offer you by bringing those immortal souls into this world. Our country believes having more than 1.7 children is a burden. God says children are a blessing and they are a heritage from the Lord. You can celebrate that and you can encourage other young women that you know to not buy into the lie that they're giving up everything that it means to be them, all of their dreams and aspirations, everything that's important by becoming a mother. That's countercultural. That, that, that's the opposite message that the world feeds women today. And if you know better, you can help women stop believing that lie. That's nonconformist. That's being a godly troublemaker at home. You can do that. Parents, a big part of your Christian duty 
is raising children who won't hide or apologize for their faith when they go out into the world. The world wants them to be compromisers. The world wants them to compromise. You have to teach them not to. The world teaches them and wants them to believe that they can't really get anywhere in life unless they compromise on this Jesus thing you've been telling them so much about. They need to know who they are. They need to know whose they are, and they're relying on you to tell them. Evangelize your children and catechize them. Because if you don't disciple your children, the culture will. And I'll just say this. Your, your country wants your children to be a certain kind of citizen. You get that, don't you? Your country wants your children to be a certain kind of citizen, a conformist. And it's your job to make sure they don't fall in love with fitting in. And I'll just tell you, if, if your child knows the Pledge of Allegiance better than they know the Apostles' Creed, you're already losing. If they can sing the star-spangled banner with stars in their eyes at a ball game, but stare at their feet and mumble amazing grace at church, they're already America's disciple, and you need to get them back. God has given them to you, parents, to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord God Almighty. And as I said before, what's at the heart of all this is love for God and love for neighbor. It's not about fighting for our rights. It's not about preserving what's left of America. It's about advancing the kingdom of Christ. America can't save anyone, never has. Rights can't save you. Jesus saves you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He bore the penalty due for our sin on the cross, and when he rose again, he declared his authority over the earth, and he charged his people, us, with telling everyone so. It doesn't honor Christ to make room for idols in the world that he has won, y'all. It doesn't honor Christ to make room for idols in the world that he has won, and especially a country that he has blessed so immensely in the past. So don't. It's not loving your neighbor to let them believe their religion is as valid as yours. It's not. It's not as valid. It's not valid at all. Loving God and loving neighbor, contrary to popular belief today, stay with me on this, I know it's unpopular, okay? Loving God and loving neighbor looks a lot like not apologizing for being right about these things. Saying them because you actually believe them. And knowing that if it's true, everyone should believe it. If it's false, no one should believe it. Let's get over ourselves and move on. There's lawns to mow and things to buy today. If it is true, everyone should believe it. Amen? And the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Okay, sounds like intolerant, bigoted, zealous nonsense. We'll be laughed at if we do that, if we go boldly with that message. 
maybe even be fed to lions again one day. The message of the gospel is an unpleasant stench to some, but it's a pleasant aroma to those that God has given eyes to see and ears to hear. So here's what I think the remedy we can all grab onto and do something with, whether we're men or women, whether we're you know, single or married, parents or not. We need to try that message on a lot of sets of ears and see what happens. Why is it so hard for us? I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I can't. I've had a hard time convincing myself I need to share Jesus more. It's harder convincing all of you. You know? That's the way the world's won. We need to try that message on a lot of ears and see what happens. God has promised us that it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. Not your intellect, not your bright smile. It is the gospel. That message needs to go out. Our country needs it. It's our only hope. Are you convinced of that yet? I'll just, I'll just ask you, how much more needs to happen before you're convinced? That is our country's only hope. Will we love God enough to do it? And will we love our neighbors as ourselves to do it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would move in each of us this morning. Apart from that, nothing will be done. Unless your spirit moves, we'll have more of the same and worse. So I pray, God, that your spirit would move in your people in this room this morning in churches all over this country and all over the world that we would be convinced of the truth of your word and that would not only make a difference in our own lives but in the lives of those around us because we can't stay quiet about it. God, would you by your spirit do this? God, would you work in each of us so that we will say, here I am, Lord, send me. And I pray, Lord, that that would happen, that, that, that it would happen in an overwhelming capacity. And that only by your grace, by your spirit working in the leadership in this church, would we be able to, to equip people to go out and to do that. Lord, that questions would come about in coming weeks of, of how to do these things. Lord, if there are deficiencies in us, if there are weaknesses in us, that we would be quick to confess them and say, Lord, help me. That we would seek out help from one another. We are all members of one body with different functions and different strengths. And Lord, God, I pray that you would knit us together as a church body, as a church family around these kinds of things. That we may serve you in the church. That we may be a blessing to this community that you've placed us in. Lord, that you would receive all the glory and honor that is due your name. That we would be a blessing to those around us. God, it's a big prayer. But you're a big God. I ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.